time to train. Let's just open up my app for the wad. Okay, 10 rounds of six muscle-ups and six snatches at 185. Uh, then freestanding handstand push-ups and overhead squat weighted pistols. Then a max lift and accessory work. Who am I, Matt freaking Froning? Like, I just want to stay fit and then get on with my life. Who has time for all this? I better talk to Brooks DeFiori from Two Brain Programming. I'll do that right after this. Back to the show in just a minute. The people at Inside Tax know you're working long hours to improve health for the world, but it can still be hard to turn a profit. You can't focus on your mission without money in your account. So Insight founder John Briggs wrote Profit First for Micro Gyms and created a system that increases your cash flow so you can be home at dinner time with a thriving fitness business. Bookkeeping, Profit First, cash flow, consulting, taxes, whatever your financial needs, Insight can help. Join their free five-day challenge at Profit First for Micro Gyms slash five days to get a snapshot of the financial health of your gym. That's Profit First for Micro Gyms slash five days. We're back on Two Brain Radio. It's Mike Workington, and I'm not doing the ridiculous workout I talked about in the intro. I wouldn't even do half of it or a third. Yet, a lot of programming streams offer super elite workouts that discourage many people at best and overtrain them at worst. Brooks DeFiori owns Arsenal Strength in Pittsburgh and runs Two Brain Programming. He's with me today to talk about programming for the 99%, not for the elite. So, Brooks, welcome to the show. Here's my story for you. I used to program the hardest version of the workout and scaled down. Maybe 10 of 200 people in our gym could do the workout as it was written. One day, a client comes up to me and says, it's super disheartening that I can never do what's ever on the board. How common is this problem and what does it do to the morale of your clients? I think it's a problem that's becoming less common, but is still very apparent in, in many gyms. You know, if I look back at when I, when I first started CrossFit, which was in 2009, 2010. Yeah, I've, I've been around for a little bit. Um, you know, the... The workouts that you saw that you were like, how am I ever going to do this? Like to, to me, that was something that really motivated me to go into the gym and try to attempt it. But I was a college athlete at the time. I was competitive and like there wasn't going to be a lot that they could put up there that would discourage me from coming in. I think that where CrossFit is now or where functional fitness is now, um, you know, it's becoming so mainstream that those sentiments are becoming less and less common among your general clients. Okay. Now, you know, I get what you're saying because back in the day, like when I kind of started CrossFit around the same time as you, you could look at say a workout like Fran and you're like, huh, that's a tough workout, but like you could probably do it in like, you know, 10, 15 minutes to start or something like that. Like you could still do it. And then you'd be astounded at like, you know, Josh Everett or Greg Amundsen putting up a five minute Fran or something like that. Now it's down in the two minute range. So things are even more extreme. But then when you look at some of the workouts that are being programmed from time to time now, they're like, they're super extreme where it's like, you know, deadlifts are now three fifteens. We're starting at things like that or snatches you're at 200 pounds for reps and things. And it's just things as fitness has evolved, like a five minute Fran time down to a two minute Fran time is the perception has the perception changed of, of what people need to program? Like, why are some people going a little bit too far in one direction here? I, I think partially it is because of the games and the competitive side of CrossFit. Um, because you see workouts like that and they are, they are fun. And you see people in the games, you know, competing with those types of, of workouts. But again, it's, is that really what is best for the general population of our gym? a daily basis. And I think it comes down to 
really, really two sides, like over-programming for skill and, you know, strength, like you mentioned, um, but also setting too high of expectations for either how fast to do a workout or how many rounds and reps you should complete in a workout. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because, you know, one of the things that at certain competitions and games level and so forth, the timing and the setup and the coaching and the warm up isn't really a concern for the programmers. Like Dave Castro never has to be like, Oh, I wonder how long Matt Fraser needs to warm up, you know, whereas at a gym setting, the pace of a class and, you know, all of that is, is really tough on a coach to manage. And you guys teach that at two brain programming, but it's not always something that comes naturally. And I've certainly made mistakes as a programmer where my coaches come back and say, dude, like, we had no time for anything. How are they supposed to get warmed up to this level of whatever, you know, in the time you allotted, you know, that's such a common mistake that's out there, I think. So you're right. Like, it's not just about the programming and, you know, the skills and the morale and so forth. It's also about the pacing of the class. So if you don't give people the right workout, it can really destroy an athlete's experience, right? You know, absolutely. And when people come in and they have an hour and they want to get this workout in, like we need to be teaching people the basics and things like that. But at what point does the their fitness level get diluted down because you're trying to teach this high level skill that really might not be that important for them to ever perform in the long run. I ran into that a lot where it was like muscle ups is a great example where there were, there's a number of people in any gym that can get muscle ups, male, female, the whole deal. Like we had tons of women get their first muscle ups in our gym. However, there were some people that we do like muscle up transition drills with, and these people didn't have a single strict, strict or kipping pull up without like a huge band or something like that. Right. So they were so far away. Was that muscle up transition drill really needed for, needed for them? You could argue that like skill development is good, but at the same time, did it really help them get closer to their goals of first pull up? Eh, debatable. Right. So I totally get what you're saying. And we always struggle with that. There's always that struggle in a group situation to figure out how do you please everyone from your top high-end fire breather to like the person who just walks in and wants a quick workout and then to go home and play with the kids, right? Yeah. You know, even if I look at, at my gym and we have great athletes who can bang out a high volume of muscle-ups, I still look at them and I say, okay, well, if we want to get you better at muscle-ups, like we should probably just continue to drill the basics, right? Of a really good kipping pull-up, of a really good chest-to-bar pull-up. Like let's continue to develop that skill rather than just muscle, muscle upping yourself to death. And I think that's when we as coaches really miss the boat on like the mindset of like scaling for certain athletes, like only scaling down and never scaling up. Like one, it would be super beneficial for an athlete who can say string together, you know, five to 10 bar muscle ups to continue to develop that foundational technique of a kip. Right. And during that time, you never have to worry about what the other eight, nine people in the class are doing because they're still working that same foundational movement with you. So let me ask you this CrossFit back in the day, you know, when it was originally conceived, it was built basically on, you know, on a, on a program that would charge, that would challenge the best athletes. Like it was basically programming built for Navy SEALs. And then, you know, Greg Glassman talked about backfilling for grandparents, right? So the idea was like, you present the hardest thing because it's going to inspire these fire breathing early adopters and 
then you're going to do it the other way and start scaling back. And he had the whole thing where he had, you know, very average, normal athletes in his gym and older clients and so forth. And he used the same principles. He just didn't have them do the same crazy workouts. And he was convinced that, you know, by talking to the tip of the spear, you would inspire them and it would trickle down in various levels and it worked. And there was, you know, a gigantic, you know, multinational hundred million dollars of, you know, company built out of this. That plan worked for CrossFit. Why doesn't it work perfectly for gym owners? So I think that his theory of, right, sharpen the tip of the spear and everyone else will eventually catch up. Like that's hundred percent correct. Right. Especially in like a competitive environment. Like if you're in a competitive environment um, or a competitive gym, like your coach better be programming for the best person there. And then that is going to raise your level of performance as well. Right. There's absolutely no argument there. But when we start to, you know, when we look at, you know, CrossFit and what it was like, Back then, there was maybe only one place for you to do CrossFit in a city or a town, right? So it's like, yes, you needed to or else you never would have gotten to the level that it's at now. Now you have so many different options, right, as far as what CrossFit can be and you know what, you're, what kind of gym you're running that if you're dealing with that general population, like just the idea of getting a, a pull-up could be motivational enough to make them come in and and work, right? I think there's a fine line between finding like inspiration of something that you cannot do yet, but seems achievable. And then something that is just so far out of the realm of possibility in a client's current state of mind that they say, well, what the heck am I doing here? Yeah. And it makes sense from a marketing perspective. Like when you're trying to inspire fitness people and acquire new clients, you can't really do it with like, here's a sexy banded pull-up, right? You have to show like the kind of the hardcore thing just to attract people. And I'm talking in the very early stages of like, you know, a brand new fitness program. People want to see the early adopters want to see new challenges. They haven't seen hard things, intensity, all this different stuff. But that doesn't, that, you know, that changes over time. So when, when we, you and I opened our gyms, like I'll tell you my early clients by and large, when we started in, in 2009-10, they were police, firefighters, military, ex-college athletes, bo- ex-bodybuilders. And then we had uh, a lot of like competitive athletes who were you know, pretty good at recreational sports or had you know, been very good athletes. So that was the essential clientele. Five, eight years later, it was changing where we got all those people already. They were either still in our program or they had moved on to other challenges. Now we were starting to talk to their mothers and their sons and their daughters and their, you know, relatives and coworkers and things like that. So that, that market changed a lot. And we were still at the time putting up like super hard workouts on the website, bloody pictures and things like that. And that wasn't what people wanted to see. And of course we had an issue. Then we realized we would market it to a very different group of people. And we took, you know, tried to hide our workouts, not because they were bad workouts, but because people don't understand the scaling that goes into them. Did you have that same experience at your gym? You know, I think I went my gym six years ago. So I think we were on the tail end of that, right? We're yeah. like, really started to realize that they needed to change the perception around yeah. what CrossFit could be in the sense of like, it doesn't have to be like hands bleeding, you laying on the floor you know, doing these crazy things. Right. And in the past six years, I think that many affiliates um, have done a great job of making it, making the idea of CrossFit much more accessible to a general population. Yeah. And it's really cool how, how we, when we look, especially at two brain gyms and we look at the things that they're, that they're doing now in terms of marketing, how they present themselves. It's so neat to see the evolution of things. Right. And like, 
I'm thinking specifically here of uh, Billy Gorham's gym. And uh, I talked to him on Two Brain Radio just a little while ago. And when you go to his website and search for it, the tagline that comes up is where beginners start their journey. And I think mm. that's just so great, right? Where he's he's talking to a specific audience there and he's showing them what they need to see. Happiness, fun, excitement, support, coaching, all those things. Uh, whereas, you know, eight years ago, my gym was like, you go there and it's like, wow, there's blood all over that guy's shins. <laughs> Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the influence of the games. We touched on a little bit, but how did the CrossFit games influence programming at the, at the gym level? What happens there? Again, I think we see these, these games athletes doing these absolutely spectacular things. And we're like, okay, this is what, this is how they train all the time. Right. And games workouts, like they're so visually appealing and well-designed that they just look like fun. Right. And I think as coaches, as programmers, like we want to introduce fun all the time into our program. So I think that we can just get a little bit carried away and forget that like games athletes, 99% of the time, they're doing really boring work regularly. And they're doing a lot of it. And that's all they're doing. Like a lot of games athletes, not all of them, but many of them, it's like their full-time job. They train five, six hours a day. It's all they do. They don't have full-time jobs. They train eat, recover. That's basically what they do. And they're trying to get to the games. It's a huge amount of work. And it's funny how the games, you know, the programming at the games has always kind of trickled down a little bit. Like if you remember 2009, that was the year where Miko Salo won and it was a huge volume. Like there was tons of workouts, big chipper at the end, like the whole deal. All of a sudden, everyone thought there had to be more, more volume. And then there was the year, and I think it was 2012 when Camille LeBlanc Bazinet won, there was more gymnastics. And all of a sudden, everyone was doing more gymnastics, right? And things have kind of changed where you see things always kind of trickle down. And it is, I think, that curse of novelty because the games are so far away from almost everyone and they're growing further and further away back in the day like 2009 a really good athlete had a chance to get to the games that's not the case anymore you have to be a super elite athlete i had a conversation uh with rob orlando the crossfit strongman hybrid guy and we were talking about strongman stuff and then we got off topic and started ranting about game stuff and he said my job literally as a coach is to tell people you're not going to the crossfit games (laughs) which i thought was incredible because he realized at that point that and he had been a games competitor most of his clients had these, or not most, many clients had these aspirations, but they weren't realistic. And he, they were setting themselves up for failure. And of course, he got into fights with clients just as I did. But, <laughs> you know, it's because you've had that issue. And we had a games athlete at our gym for a couple of years. And it really put a strain on, on things where we're trying to figure out how do we accommodate someone like that and someone who has no interest whatsoever, you know? So I think you're exactly right. The games are very, very far away from where the average programming is. So talk to me about like, the programming streams that are out there are some of them over programming. They might be um, the only the only per, the only people that can answer that are the people who are running it in their gyms and the feedback they're getting from their clients. Right? If you're in a super competitive gym, like it's probably going to be hard to program for them. But if you're doing something that is either you're either setting expectations too high or you're regularly programming movements that are going to discourage the everyday person from potentially coming into class that day, then yes, you are over-programming. And the only way you're going to figure that out then is by talking to your clients and evaluating, right? You have to have that relationship where you can't just sit at the top and say, I love this programming. It's amazing. But it doesn't really matter what you like. It matters what your clients, right? Am I correct? Sure. You know, and I, you know, even like going in with the idea of setting expectations, right? I think that we're always like, okay, what is like, you know, what would the high bar be, right? Let's just say there's a 10 minute AMRAP and you're like, okay, a games athlete or a regionals athlete level athlete would get like 
four to five rounds of that? Like, is that what you should be putting into your notes for your coaches to tell your general population? Like, sure, if they scale it correctly, um, you know, but what if you have people that it's achievable for, but like they get two rounds of it, right? And you just totally overshot your estimate of what they should get because you have someone who is very fit right? Just from like an overall general population level. Um, and they're trying to compare themselves to a regionals games level athlete. Um, so I think that at times like dialing back our expectations and letting athletes exceed them will go a long way into making them feel like they're getting what they need to get accomplished. Does that yeah, make no, sense? Yeah. Nobody likes to fail, you know, and, and that was always a challenge when I was programming, which I don't do anymore. My wife takes care of that, but it was always a challenge because you want to set up something hard, but you never want to set something up where people would feel utterly defeated. You know, where let's say you put a chipper together and half the athletes only get into the second movement and don't get to have any fun on the third and fourth and fifth one. That's bad programming, you know, and it might've worked for like, you know, if I programmed for Jason Kalipa or it might've worked if I programmed for Matt Fraser, but it's not going to work if my average accountant who comes in just wanting a workout leaves saying, I didn't even finish half the workout, man, this sucks right? Like it can really hurt your client's morale. And it's all about the presentation. I love what you said there. If you say, oh, well, you know, you should be able to get three or four rounds of this and you make a mistake and all of a sudden clients get two, they feel like they failed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They feel like they haven't, that they're not the level that maybe they, they thought they were, or that maybe that the work they're putting in hasn't been paying off and they need to change. Yeah, and- that's another point. You're exactly right. You, they're actually subverting your own chain of success. They're like, well, I, obviously the program's not working for me. Exactly. How many times does a coach hear that and just, you know, almost lose their minds? Yeah. Yeah. And this syncs up exactly with what Chris Cooper has talked about in bringing clients into programs. He wants you to find in your gym wins for your clients right from the first day. Like, what are they doing right? Even if it's just like you showed up, put your shoes on and did a workout, or it's like you're good at deadlifting or whatever it is, finding wins in every single spot. If you don't find wins for your clients, and if you don't highlight those wins, you're going to have problems. So your programming is a huge part of that because it can definitely eliminate wins. So Brooks, how do we fix all this? Talk, you mentioned a few things, but let's really dig in. How do you address these issues? Make sure that you're programming for the clients and helping them find wins and success. I think that one of the biggest um, things we can do is get away from that program for the best skill for the rest and say, hey, I'm going to program for the bulk of my gym. And then I'm going to scale up for the people who need it or down for those who need it. Right. So it takes the, it takes the pressure off coaches to maybe go and like, now you have to find a scaling variation. If you pull people in class and only two can do bar muscle ups, well, now you have to find 10 scaling variations, right? Sure. There'll be people in there who are, you know, doing chest of bar pull-ups. You might have to do three or four, but you still have to have that conversation with everyone. Right. If you just choose, and then you can even go down to like doing, you know, ring rows or bent over rows. So you have this thing that's all the way, you know, at level 10, and you're asking somebody to do something at level one. And that's great. Like that's why CrossFit is, you know, so accessible to everyone. But as a coach, I'd rather my coaches say, like, okay, hey, we're going to do pull-ups, right? Pull-ups are how the workout is written. Also, athletes who need a little bit more, they have the opportunity to scale up to bar muscle-ups. And if you can't do pull-ups, then you scale down to ring rows. So now you've taken this bulk of a class, right? And said, Hey, you're doing exactly what you need to do. And now you're maybe having these scaling conversations with one or two people. And you can spend that time actually developing a personal relationship 
with your clients rather than just trying to find a scaling variation for them. I don't know how many, I wouldn't have a clue on the ratio, but I would guess that I'll say 85% of gyms scale down more than they scale up. And I think you've hit on something there because really like we had back in the early days, we had some some really good athletes and we would often scale up for them specifically because you'd look at a workout. It was just so far below what they were capable of. But I think in scaling up, there's also this tendency sometimes to think you're further ahead than you are. And like, let's talk about like Fran as a simple example, scaling up Fran makes it a different workout, right? Like sometimes there's workouts that people will look at and say, Oh, those are too easy. But if you do them faster, they're horrific and super effective, right? Terrible, right? Like, yeah, absolutely go faster. And I think like we, so I do want to make a distinction between like, um, like your everyday programming and yeah. like something like benchmarks. Yeah. Let's right? talk about that. Do it. Like, so even like, like I, like in the, in the context of this conversation, like my mind has been like on your everyday programming. Now we introduce something like benchmarks, right? Where yes, things like muscle ups, handstand pushups, handstand walks, super heavy um, weightlifting. Those things like are absolutely appropriate because we're testing, right? We're trying to achieve something that we've never achieved in the past. And I think that, you know, we talk about that novelty thing. It makes those movements a lot more fun for people if we save them primarily for benchmarks and testing pieces. Yeah. And I really like that because what it does is it gives people an opportunity to, ex- you know, exceed their, their previous scores or to even like, let's say I can all of a sudden I can do friend and I can do pull-ups. Whereas I had to use a band before that's a huge win that shows up. And it only shows up when you program those benchmarks from time to time. I remember in our gym specifically, the two days that always had the best atmosphere of all time were Helen, which is, uh, you know, running and again, barring injury and anyone can do these things. There's running kettlebell swings uh, that are fairly light and pull-ups and pull-ups. Some people that can't do, but they do bands and that's fine. But everyone could almost complete that workout exactly the way it was written. People loved it. The other one was deadlift day when we would do, you know, max out a deadlift or hit a heavy five deadlift or something like that because almost everyone can deadlift. And the benefit of that is these clients feel these huge wins and a sense of accomplishment. Chris Cooper here with a word about our box. This business management platform is designed to take you from a fitness expert to a successful gym owner. Rbox offers a full suite of tools, including a dashboard and report with the top metrics that we prioritize at Two Brain Business. With a glance, you can see length of engagement, average monthly revenue, new versus lost members, and more. Rbox will also help you drive engagement with a members app that allows clients to interact with their friends. So here's a special deal for Two Brain Radio listeners. Save up to 50% for the first year using Rbox. Visit rboxapp.com forward slash TBB to register to a free 10-day trial and schedule a demo with one of Rbox's experts. So talk to me here a little bit more about these expectations and how you set them with your programming, even how your coaches deliver the programming at the whiteboard. Yeah. So I mean, again, with setting expectations, we always dial back our expectations a little bit for what we think is achievable here, because at the end of the day, just for my general population of people, I'd much rather have them leaving the gym thinking that they accomplished something above and beyond what they went in expecting to complete. It's the other thing we do is oh, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, you go. The other thing we do is we we program for the what is our general population, right? We look and we say, okay, again, you know, pull like pull-ups, muscle ups. Remember those are the easiest ones, you know, handstand push-ups, um, you know, push-ups, 
ring dips, like those are, you know, those other ones too, but we always take the middle variation, right? What is the one that the bulk of the athletes or clients are going to be able to do? And then let's make sure that we have an option for the athletes who need to scale up and another option for the athletes who need to scale down. What's your client avatar? Our client avatar? Yeah. At, at also? Yeah. Yeah. We just serve, we serve a general population who wants to be able to live their best life by improving their health and fitness. Like that is what we're going for. And then within that, there are people who fall in love with you know, doing CrossFit. Um, no, no, I'm throwing this at you out of the blue. And the reason why I, I, I asked it, because I knew you would know your avatar, but I think a lot of gym owners, and I was guilty of this, won't know that the answer to that question. And when you don't know your avatar or your ideal client or your general population and the people you're trying to bring into that population, it's really difficult to figure out how to program for them, right? Like if you think that you're, oh, we're a super competitive gym, but we also serve grandmothers and grandfathers. Eh, I mean, it can be done, but it doesn't give you that you can't, there's kind of a, a gap in the middle there. So by asking you, I just want to see like, cause you know who your clients are, that makes it a lot easier to program. Do you agree? It, it does. And you know, especially when we look at them and say, okay, like we want to help people live their best lives possible through improving their fitness. Right. And along the way, they're going to fall in love with CrossFit or functional fitness and stay for the long term. Now with that, like I, everybody who comes in, they need a different element of fitness to improve their life right? Some people need to lose weight. Some people might need to build muscle and get stronger. Others just might need to improve their general fitness. So within that, and it's why we built two grade program. And we want to have a framework where we can make sure that we are talking to these people in their language about how to help, how that workout is going to specifically help them with their goal on that day. So talk to me more about two brain programming, its philosophy, and like, how is it going to help gym owners retain and please their clients? It's going to help gym owners retain their clients because again, it's going to give you a lens in which you can frame any workout of the day, right? Into multiple client avatars, depending on their goal. So take one workout, what you do is relate it to the weight loss client. You take the same workout and you can relate it back to the client who's trying to build strength. You don't necessarily have to change the programming or like change the RX or make something scale. It's just about talking to them in a way that's making them understand why this is benefiting them today. What are, what are the three most common avatars within a general client group, like the goals that they have? You mentioned two there. Yes, weight loss, general fitness, and then um, increased strength or build muscle. And that's going to cover like, what, 80, 90% of clients that are out there, their goals? Yeah, you know, the other, I, I mean, I would, I would argue that it would cover 100% of the clients out there. Yeah. But what, what you'll get is... Um, the more you get to know your clients, you'll start to understand the things in their, their lives that they do that will make their goals more specific. So for example, if I have a general fitness client who is a golfer, well, I can start to, I can talk to them about the general fitness track, right? Or through the general fitness avatar every day, and then maybe give them some variations that'll help them with some rotational strength to improve their golf swing. Uh, swing. Or if I have a weight loss client, right? And their primary focus is weight loss, but they want to run a 5k or a marathon. Well, then I can just go even further within that avatar that we provided and related to not only weight loss, but their goal of running a 5k or a marathon or whatever it might be. So can I put you on the spot here and ask you for a, just a general, simple workout and the two brain programming would create and how you would present it to those three different clients? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, let's say that we have anything some, you want. Uh, Okay. So let's say you have a workout that's a hundred double unders. 
20 hang power snatches, 75 double unders, 15 hang power snatches, 50 double unders, 10 hang power snatches, 25 double unders, five hang power snatches. All right. Okay, so we got weightlifting and we got some conditioning stuff and we're dropping the numbers all the way down. Yeah, absolutely. So you might say that general fitness athletes should approach this wad with the goal to finish or basically go down swinging, right? We want you to go really hard. So like this avatar group should be encouraged to perform double unders wherever possible to work on the skill under pressure where necessary, you know, up the number of reps or decrease them, right? To scale this wad. And the snatch should be a moderate weight that athletes can perform five to six times unbroken when fresh. Right. That's a pretty traditional way of like briefing any sort of CrossFit workout. So I'm going to ask you a specific question about double unders. What would you say to an athlete who has like occasional spurts of two to three? What, and, but, you know, in that hundred round, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get a hundred so, unless they go for like two hours. What would you say to that athlete about this skipping? I would tell them, okay, you can do as many double under attempts as you want to in about 75 to 90 seconds, right? That yes. should not take you more than 75 to 90 seconds. So Go ahead and you know whip yourself to death with that rope for <laughs> two or three, but then at that 75, 90 second mark, you got to get you know onto the snatches. Okay, because that, what that's going to do is prevent a really stubborn athlete from literally trying to do those hundred double unders for the entire workout, right? Exactly, right. And you just like look over and they're like, you know, time cap is up, and they've just you know they're on fifty double unders and they're covered in red streaks. <laughs> yes, and then you get a call from their spouse wondering what's going on. Yeah, all right, hit me with the next one. Um, so let's say we take that same workout and we talk to it, um, to a strength athlete about it, right? So we can say like strength athletes will be challenged by the volume of the hang power snatches mixed with the additional demands of the jump rope, right? This avatar group should be encouraged to perform double unders whenever possible. Same deal. It's like to work on that skill under pressure and the snatches should probably be a little bit heavier. Okay. Right? So would you still want them to go? That's like, how many unbroken would you want them to get? We might have them go in that three to four round, right? A little bit lower uh, if they wanted to go heavier, but they could also kind of go the opposite way, right? So a lot of times, especially the movement like a hang power clean, like, so with this specific workout, no, I would not actually want them to do that, right? If there are snatches from the ground, I would say, yes, let's go heavier. Maybe let's do some fast singles. Knowing that it's a hang power snatch, I would actually just want them to hang on to the bar for longer so they get more muscle breakdown, right? More hypertrophy, which is going to lead to them building more muscle down the line. And see, the great part about that is you just explained to me as if I was a strength athlete interested interest in building strength, why am I working in sevens and eights and higher rep numbers? It's like literally because that's going to help you grow more muscle fibers. And we all know, at least anyone who's done this kind of thing, if you get to seven fairly heavy hang snatches in a row, it's brutal. It's it's so brutal, right? And you know, even making sure that like you know an athlete really understands. Like I would, I, you know, if I was talking to that, I'd say I, I want to be clear that like I don't want you to do fifteen or twenty of these unbroken. Like I want you to pick a weight that's going to be tough to do for, um, you know, a set of twelve and then a set of eight, right? So you get into that rep range where you know is ideal for building muscle. The hardest thing in, in workouts is when you get high reps and you have to pick loads that are so close to your limit. It's super rough. So you're definitely going to build some strength there. Give me your final brief. Um, so we'd say like lots of reps, a lot of technique and like a really short time cap today and make this a challenging workout, especially for many athletes who might be newer and like wanting to lose weight. Right. So this avatar group should be encouraged to pick a version or a scale number on the jump rope that lets them keep moving with minimal trips, right? So like 
if this group right here, I would say, okay, let's, let's just scale to either scale it down the number of reps that we're doing in the double unders, or let's go to single unders, right? Cause I want you to keep moving. I need your heart rate to get elevated. The higher your heart rate is over the course of this nine minutes, the more calories you're going to inevitably burn, which is going to help you lose pounds. So same workout, three different ways to present it. And it makes sense. Like, you're, let's be clear here. We're not slimy selling this, right? To like say, you know, because I've seen in the past where a bunch of bodybuilding clients all checked their programming and it was all literally the same stuff. And they were all like, we're eating the same things, the same amounts, doing the same movements on the same days. And he even forgot to change the name at the top of the sheet when he handed it to me, right? We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is tailoring these workouts. And that's where the onus is on the coach to really figure it out to tailor the, the same workout to each client and explain how that workout is going to help that client accomplish the goals. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's providing a better service, right? I mean, especially in a group setting, like they know they're all getting the same workout. It's a group setting, like your like level of coaching and your level of service, like will really start to shine. If you know your clients well enough and you're confident enough to go up to them and have these conversations about their specific goals, you know, sure. You might've athletes in class here. Just, they just want to work out and that's fine. Right. That's exactly what that general fitness brief is for. But again, you will have outliers who want to lose weight specifically and will tell you that they want to lose weight, or you will have athletes that want to get stronger and they'll tell you that you want to get stronger. Like if you want to keep them around for the long term and like truly help them, reach their goals. Like these are conversations that you should be having with them on a daily basis. Yeah. It's not a snake oil thing. And then the other thing is that exactly what you said, like group programming is your discount option, right? So people expect like they're not getting a completely 100% personalized program. They're getting a general thing that's, you know, customized to them. But this also leads to a high, high value conversation where if someone says, I want more, you can say, let's talk about your goals and let's maybe get into some personalized individual one-on-one programming, right? Yeah. You know, and I can even take that, that same mindset and relate it back to, we said like scaling for, or program for the general population and scaling up and scaling down, you know, for a lot of our athletes who are like very close to getting handstand push or getting bar muscle ups or, you know, PRing a snatch or clean and jerk. Like the minute, like the coaching that they get in class, like will be minimal compared to personal training, right? I'd much rather take that client who I see is very close to getting bar muscles rather than drilling it with them in class, right? When there's 11 other people who have no interest or aren't even close to possibly getting bar muscle ups, I'd rather take them in a one-on-one setting for a half hour and work with them there. And really, that is an opportunity to help a client. It's also a sales opportunity to help your gym's revenue, right? Like there, it's, it's again, we're not trying to sell things. We're trying to help, but selling through, you know, after helping is the way we run our businesses. Talk to me about how can people find out more about Two Brain Programming, maybe see what you guys are all about and see what the workouts and briefs are. Yeah. So you can go to twobrainprogramming.com. We have a 30-day free trial. We uh, release each month of programming a week before it's scheduled to go live. You can go in, you can download it um, all in a spreadsheet. You can edit it, you can make it your own. All the avatar briefs are written there for every single workout. So if you really want to get a better sense of what we're talking about, I'd encourage you to head over to the website, sign up for your free trial. So people will just see when they when they sign up for this, they'll actually see the workouts and they'll be able to see what you just did, where they have the workout and then three different avatar briefs so that they could learn how to present them? Correct. Avatar briefs will be right next to them. So if you're a two brain, growth client, you get tier one for free. Um, just reach out to your mentor and they should be able to tell you the, um, the coupon code. 
uh, for that uh, to get access to it. If they don't, they can just email me, brooks at twobrainprogramming.com, and I'll make sure you get set up. Um, for everybody else, again, you sign up for a 30-day free trial. And what's tier one versus tier two? Uh, tier one would just be the uh, full programming breakdown without any um, session plans, coaches notes. Uh, it doesn't include our, our daily SEM content, our monthly- Sleep, eat, move, manage. Yep, sleep, eat, move, manage. Um, our daily accessory tracks. So we have accessory tracks for functional bodybuilding, weightlifting, and gymnastics to go along with the programming. So all that stuff comes in tier two. All that stuff comes in tier two. Excellent. Listeners, if you're out there and you feel like you want to learn a little bit more about the two brain programming system, head over there. And it's really cool because the sleep, eat, move, managing that Brooks just talked about, it takes your coaching from just coaching the squat to coaching people as, as total people. And it, the cool part about that is that, uh, you know, Brooks and I were talking before the show, there are some gyms that are locked down. There are some people that are working online, uh, or even if you're not locked down, it gives you some extra things that you can do to help your clients and help your gym. Brooks, thank you so much for being here today and talking programming. Uh, I'm not going to do, well, I'm going to do the hang snatch workout, but I'm going to scale it down a little bit. Is that cool with you? That's cool with me. I'd be scaling it too. It's, it's Friday and I'm a little tired today that I just kind of want to work and then uh, have, maybe have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll join you for the beer. All right, my friend. We will do that soon in person whenever these lockdowns end. Thanks again, Brooks. Thanks, Mike. I'm Mike Workington, and this is Two Brain Radio. We solve gym problems here twice a week, every week. Subscribe for more episodes. To solve problems in between those episodes, join the Gym Owners United group on Facebook. You know how some gym owners groups are full of complaining and arguing? Gym Owners United is full of helpful people just like you. Join for peer support and advice from Two Brain mentors, including Chris Cooper, our founder. That's Gym Owners United on Facebook. Join today, and I'll see you in there.